It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, July 5th, 2021. Thanks for starting off your week with us. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight's California report takes a deep dive into an investigation concerning LA Mayor Eric Garcetti's failed assurance to unhoused residents. Then, in National Native News, descendants of soldiers at the Battle of Wounded Knee support revoking medals of honor awarded for participation in the 1890 massacre of the Lakota people. And a totem pole from Washington State continues its route to the nation's capital. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Al Stoller speaks to Ember Amador about the Nisanon Tribe's Gallery Grand Opening. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Last year, as the pandemic was bearing down on Southern California, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti said the city needed to do more to help unhoused people with their hygiene needs. Here's Garcetti on April 8, 2020. From the beginning, I've been committed to improving our sanitary conditions where our unhoused Angelinos live putting more than 300 sanitary stations for washing hands uh, on our streets, dozens of porta potties But I was disappointed to learn that many of those hand-washing stations didn't have water or soap or paper towels. So thanks to Judge Carter, to my deputy mayor, Christina Miller, for the fast action. We have talked to the folks that are our vendors, and instead of being checked once a week, they will now be checked daily to ensure that people living on the street can maintain sanitary conditions, and all of us can help stop the spread of COVID-19. That will begin starting tomorrow. But an investigation from the website LA Taco finds that despite Mayor Garcetti's commitments, not much has changed. Many of those stations have not been filled with running water, paper towels, or soap during the pandemic. Reporter Lexis Olivier Ray worked on this investigation for more than a year. She spoke with the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi. I looked at five months of assessment records from the sanitation department in Los Angeles. And these assessment records kept track of soap, water, and paper towel levels at hand washing stations. And they were assessed pretty much every day. What I found was that although they assessed these hand washing stations, there was no record of the sanitation department actually assessing all of the hand washing stations in the city. On average, they assessed roughly 50% of all the hand washing stations. And I also found that as the pandemic got worse, more people got sick, the sanitation department actually assessed fewer hand washing stations. And what about the vendors who are contracted by the city of Los Angeles to assess these sanitation stations? I looked at hundreds of purchase orders and contracts that showed that Although vendors were required to service hand washing stations and portable toilets every day, they didn't always do that, but they did charge the city for the cost of maintaining these units. During your investigation, you spoke with a number of unhoused residents. What did they have to say about these stations? The majority of them said that either hand washing station units weren't being serviced regularly. A lot of people said that they didn't trust the units, even if they were being serviced. And then several people told me flat out that they just didn't know where they were. In terms of the service issues, it ranged from everything from lack of water and or soap. A lot of soap dispensers were missing. And um, most of the units that I checked on didn't have paper towels. 
residents were forced to, in some cases, buy their own soap to use these hand washing station units. In terms of the mistrust, um, since these units are on the sidewalks and really anybody can access them, it's really easy to get into the water supply. People express concerns about people tampering with them. Someone said, told me that one of the units had bleach in it and they felt that it had too much bleach. And then there were the people that just didn't know where they were and really looked to me to tell them where these units were. There were certain neighborhoods in L.A. where there weren't any hand washing stations at all. And there's also a big issue with the lack of portable toilets, right? Correct. And through my reporting, I, I learned that a lot of unhoused residents felt that the lack of portable toilets was actually of greater concern and there was a higher demand for for bathrooms. Residents told me that they could find alternatives to wash their hands, you know, maybe buying a bar of soap and a gallon jug of water or just using hand sanitizer. But finding a place to go to the bathroom, especially during the pandemic, when so many businesses were closed, was a real concern for a lot of the people that I spoke to. Has the problem gotten any better? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, there were certainly some units that were well-maintained and maintained regularly. And then there were others that were ignored for weeks or in some cases more than a month. Um, I have continued to check on certain units in my in my neighborhood or if I come across a, a unit when I'm out. And um, I, I noticed actually one of the units that I reported on, they, they have replaced the soap dispenser that was missing for a while. But it doesn't seem like the situation has necessarily gotten any better than what it was when I began reporting on this 14 months ago. Following his statement in April, Mayor Garcetti doubled down just a few months later and said that crews were checking these stations on a daily basis. The city sanitation department has gone back and forth on who's responsible. From what you gather, has everyone just been passing the buck on this issue? Yeah, and the sanitation department essentially told me that they have nothing to do with the units anymore and directed me to another department. The mayor's office, they put it on the vendors pointing to contracts saying that they are responsible for assessing and servicing these units seven days a week. And I didn't hear from any of the vendors. None of them would speak to me. And you know, in a few months, these units, they could be pulled from the sidewalks. The contracts are set to expire in late October of this year. The city did mention, though, that the city council might take another look at these units. And it seems possible that the contract could be extended or they might find some solution to make some of these hand washing station units more permanent. That was Lexis Olivier Ray, a reporter and editor with LA Taco. Lexis, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Keith. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. 
And that is the California Report for this Monday, July 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Descendants of the Wounded Knee Massacre, tribal leaders, members of the National Buffalo Soldiers Association, and some members of Congress took part in a recent ceremony in Washington, D.C. Descendants of Buffalo Soldiers African American Cavalry presented a proclamation showing their support for the Remove the Stain Act, legislation to revoke medals of honor awarded to soldiers for their participation in the 1890 massacre of Lakota people on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Buffalo Soldiers Association members touched on reconciliation and acknowledging past wrongs. Tara Cooks. Let this be the first step in honoring the commonality that unites us rather than the fear which divides us. We march together not to forge a perfect union, but to achieve the promise of a less imperfect one. Manny Ironhawk is a descendant of the Wounded Knee Massacre. We have to have healing. We need healing. For 130 years, we carried this. From generation to generation, my mother read, read the story, tells the story, and she cries. And so I said, someday it needs to stop. And with the help of our, all of our allies and our brothers here, we have hope. Hope for our children and grandchildren to continue and remember what happened at Wounded Knee. Representative Kai Kahele says he was honored to reintroduce the Remove the Stain Act in the House. As a proud veteran, a 20-year veteran and a member of the House Armed Services Committee, the Medal of Honor is the most prestigious and the highest award and recognition that the United States military bestows on those that have served. And make no mistake, there was nothing Absolutely nothing honorable about the actions of those soldiers. Legislation was also reintroduced in the Senate. A totem pole is making its way from the Lummi Nation in Washington State to the nation's capital this summer. It's making stops along the journey and was recently in Lawrence, Kansas at Haskell Indian Nations University. As Rhonda Lovaldo reports, Carver say it's raising awareness about Native American issues. The House of Tears carvers haul a 5,000-pound totem pole made from a 400-year-old cedar tree to raise awareness of many issues Native Americans face. Freddie Lane of the Lummi Nation says that includes boarding schools like where they visited at Haskell. I'm sure there are sacred sites and sacred mounds and burial sites around here. The message of murdered and missing indigenous women the Indian in the moon. Every stop is different. The totem isn't sacred. What's sacred is the gathering of the, the, the students, the faculty here. But one other important message is to support Department of Interior Secretary and Laguna Pueblo citizen Deb Holland in addressing these items, says Lummi citizen and master carver of the totem pole, Jewel Prane Wolf James. We know it takes more than one to accomplish great deeds, so we have 
James's presentation encouraged students, staff, and faculty to be more involved in Native issues. The group plans to make it to the capital at the end of July. This is Rhonda Lavaldo for National Native News, and I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976, with offices in Washington D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. This reminder to get your COVID-19 vaccination provided by the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health, which supports this show. Vaccines are now available for everyone 12 and up. Talk with your provider today about protecting your children and family from COVID-19. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Barapatch Food Co-op has announced their participation in Plastic Free July. This global initiative seeks to educate and spur action to combat the 8 million metric tons of plastic waste which enter oceans every year. Throughout the month, Briarpatch will reduce plastic reliance in a number of ways. These include removing all plastic bags and containers from the bulk department, creating a plastic-free July resource page on their website, and joining the Wild and Scenic Film Festival to co-host a virtual screening of the film *The Story of Plastic*, followed by a Q&A with the director. Proceeds from the screening will benefit Circle's annual Yuba River cleanup. They encourage others to get involved by bringing reusable bags, investing in reusable water bottles and coffee mugs, and not using plastic straws. Mill Street's development into a permanent pedestrian avenue took another step forward. The union reported Grass Valley City Manager Tim Kaiser said the latest numbers from a public poll continue to look in favor of closure to vehicular traffic. A Grass Valley Chamber of Commerce survey from April revealed 75% of respondents favored Mill Street remaining closed. However, others worry about parking concerns. Wildfires are burning throughout the state. Let's take a look at updates from a few in Northern California. Nearly 750 fire personnel continue to battle the Salt Fire in Shasta County. The blaze has consumed over 11,000 acres and is 20% contained, as reported by the Shasta Trinity National Forest Service. The fire, visible from Interstate 5, has destroyed an estimated 27 homes and 14 outbuildings. This season's largest California wildfire, the Lava Fire, has demolished 25,000 acres northeast of Weed in Siskiyou County. Around 1,400 fire personnel are assigned to the fire, which is reported at 70% contained. On Saturday, July 3, the Siskiyou County Sheriff's Office disclosed the arrest of 14 individuals who entered and refused to leave an evacuation zone. One of the 14 arrested pushed an official with a vehicle and ran through a roadblock. The tenant fire, also burning in Siskiyou County, currently measures over 10,500 acres and is 51% contained, as reported by the Sacramento Bee. The origins of the fire, which began in Klamath National Forest, are still being investigated. Four teens have been hospitalized for hypothermia when their group of backpackers was caught in a severe thunderstorm in Stanislaus National Forest. Tuolumne County Search and Rescue contacted a Cal Fire helicopter crew working on a nearby fire for the evacuation rescue. The Sacramento Bee reports last night around 10:50 p.m. an inmate firefighter stole a Cal Fire truck, 
while responding to an incident in Shingle Springs. The firefighter eventually drove the truck into a ditch, totaling the vehicle. The LA Times reports California's COVID-19 variant tracker has officially confirmed the Delta variant as the state's dominant coronavirus strain. The Delta variant accounted for 35.6% of cases sequenced in June, a dramatic increase from its 5.6% of cases in May. A new study released from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo finds rattlesnakes are likely to benefit from a warming climate due to climate change. Longer periods of warmer temperatures would also give rattlesnakes a longer active season, giving them more time to hunt and feed. In addition to seasonal changes, rattlers could spend more hours being active during a given day. Gulp. Thanks for the warning. And now for regional weather. The National Weather Service forecasts dry and warm conditions through the week ahead. These warm temperatures will begin on Thursday with widespread triple digits in the weekend. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear skies with a low around 65. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 92. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, clear with a low around 52. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 86. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, mostly clear skies with a low around 59. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 94. Coming up, Nevada County's Nisenon Tribe is inviting the public to the grand opening of their new gallery, meeting place, and education center in downtown Nevada City this coming Saturday night. Al Stoller spoke with outreach spokesperson Ember Amador about the details. Ember, what is CHIRP? CHIRP is California Heritage Indigenous Research Project, CHIRP for short, and it's a Nevada City-based 501c3 nonprofit that serves the local Nevada City Rancheria Nisenan tribe. The Nisenan being the original inhabitants of this area. Yes, the Yuba and Bear River watersheds are the ancestral homelands of the Nisenan. The Nisenan have a problem when it comes to the federal government as far as recognition. They were illegally terminated in 1964. At some point, it was deemed illegal to be terminating tribes, and that practice was stopped. However, tribes were not reinstated. It is up to each tribe to seek recognition or re-recognition on their own, and that is something that the Nevada City Rancheria Nisenan are in process with and the main goal of CHIRP. Opening up this meeting space slash shop on Broad Street in Nevada City will go some ways toward meeting that goal. It's very exciting to have downtown presence, to have such visibility in Nevada City, to have a, a place where people can come physically to learn more about the tribe, about CHIRP, about our different programs different things that we're up to in order to raise awareness, raise visibility for the tribe, all towards the goal of federal recognition, re-recognition. The store will be called Uba Seu, Nisanon Arts and Culture. And actually, it's more than a store. It's, it will be a cultural education center, a gallery. There will be some retail that is more the minimal part of it. July 10th from 6 to 9 p.m., is the grand opening, and we are at 225 Broad Street in downtown Nevada City. Across from the old Alpha building. Yes. The last time I was there, I was really impressed. I really enjoyed 
the paintings that were displayed on the wall. I understand you've got a new set of paintings now. The initiative is called Visibility Through Art, Invisible No More. This initiative brings local artists together. They receive guidance from the Tribal Council towards whatever theme. This year, the theme is destruction of the land, destruction of the people. And so the artists then come up with their concepts that they then run by the tribal council and and get guidance and make sure that, you know, when we're working with culturally sensitive pieces to make sure that they're being represented in the way that they want to be represented. So it's a very like closely connected collaboration that along the way artists check in and get feedback and make edits if that's what's needed until the final pieces are done. So we'll have, I think there were about 20 artists participating and it'll just be their interpretations of that theme, destruction of the land, destruction of the people, covering different aspects of Nisenan culture as well as the history of the land itself, which is really a, a very important link to to the Nisenan culture. I get a kick out of seeing a lot of plants around that sometimes they're very nice wildflowers, sometimes they just impress me as weeds. Those were food. Those were actually used and eaten by the people who lived here. There are still many plants here that have been you know, used for thousands of years for jewelry making. Definitely pine nuts and acorns were big supplies for for nourishment, nutrition, as as well as uh, the pine nuts being for jewelry, many types of berries and soap root. There's a pine in the lower foothills, the ghost pine or gray pine, that some folks consider a pest because it has really huge, heavy cones. And if one of those falls on the roof of your car, you've got a repair bill there. If it's not right on your driveway, the pine nuts, the seeds in that cone are delicious. Not only delicious, but very nutritious. Cones from that pine, the ghost pine or foothill pine, were the most sought after by the Nisenan and still still gathered today, both for food and for jewelry making. And the ghost pine is very easy to recognize. It's the one pine that doesn't just grow straight up. It puts branches out in all directions like, like an oak tree. Tell us again when and where the opening's happening. The Ubaseu Grand Opening, Ubaseu Nisanon Arts and Culture, is at 225 Broad Street in downtown Nevada City. And our grand opening event is on July 10th, that's next Saturday, from 6 to 9 p.m. It is a free event, as well as when our hours of operation beyond the grand opening, we are open Thursdays through Sundays from noon to 4 Amber, thank you very much for talking with us. I'm looking forward to Saturday night. I hope to see you there, Al. I've been speaking with Amber Amador, Community Outreach for the Nisinan Tribe. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for tonight, Monday, July 5th, 2021. We get support from Bistro 221, American comfort food with Southern and Italian inspirations for lunch and dinner. Preparing homemade dishes, wraps, pastas, and burgers utilizing the freshest ingredients available. Menu and information, bistro221nevadacity.com. And 
Sun's Development and the Alternative Building Center, offering environmentally considerate building design and materials since 1999, supplying recycled cotton insulation, local clay plasters, hemp shield exterior wood finishes, and other bio-based products. Idaho Maryland Road, Grass Valley, sunsdevelopment.com. Stick around. Coming up next at 6.30 is Disability Wrap. On tonight's episode, host Carl Sigmund speaks to the Executive Director of Disability Rights California, Andy Imperato. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Hope you're fully recovered from the holiday weekend with all fingers still intact. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.